Welcome to Kidney Chaps by CureGN. My name is Tina Crager, and I'm a project manager at the University of Michigan. This podcast brings you the latest research, lifestyle impacts, and other information of interest to those who have or love someone with glomerular kidney disease. CureGN is a large cohort study funded by the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. More information is available at curegn.org. That's C-U-R-E-G-N.org. Today, we are focusing on nutrition. To lead us in our discussion, we have two expert guests today. Our guest interviewer is Shannon Mulroy. She's a kidney advocate, educator, and donor. Shannon is deeply involved in supporting kidney health advocacy organizations. She became involved when her teenage daughter developed a rare and serious kidney disease that required a transplant. Shannon is a tireless volunteer helping to raise awareness of kidney disease and the search for treatments and cures. Our guest expert is Judy Lester, a clinical dietitian at the University of North Carolina Healthcare System. Judy is an outpatient dietitian and she specializes in renal nutritional support. This includes treating pre and post renal transplant patients as well as those with chronic kidney disease and diabetes. Shannon, will be our interviewer, and Judy is our expert. Welcome, Shannon and Judy. Thank you, Tina, for that nice introduction. Judy, it's so nice to chat with you today. I remember the many conversations that I had with our dietitian when my daughter was at Columbia's Children's Hospital. We had so many talks that I felt we were going to be friends afterwards. So thank you for taking your time today. I'm glad you had a positive experience with your dietitian. Well, what can I help you with today? Let's start with a basic question. Patients with kidney disease are often told to limit their salt. Why is that? Well, when I talk to patients about salt, I want them to know that salt uh, can help patients uh, retain fluid, and it can also uh, may affect their uh, blood pressures. So we put we recommend people to follow a low salt diet. Not only will following a low salt diet be a natural diuretic, but it also may help the blood pressure medications work more effectively uh, with doing what they need to do to help lower that blood pressure. Also, salt can cause people to retain water, and that can cause your heart to work harder. So we do recommend a low salt diet. For most of our patients who have kidney issues. Grocery shopping and cooking for a low-sodium diet can be a challenge. What are some foods that people are surprised to hear that are high in salt? Well, today I had a patient in my clinic and we were talking about a low-salt diet and I had them run to their pantry and go get an item and they found something uh, that they wanted to know how they could read the label. So we reviewed it. First, I asked them to go to the nutrition facts and look for the serving size. It's not what you put on your plate, but what the actual serving is. And then I had them read the line where the word sodium was. They were amazed to find out that the item that they selected had 660 milligrams of sodium. So I told them that we do recommend roughly anything less than 200. The 
guidelines for a low salt diet for most of our kidney patients are around 2,300 milligrams per day. And that would give you 10 items at 200 milligrams each. And most patients or most of the patients that I work with eat anywhere from 10 to 15 items. So that would uh, roughly put them in that ballpark range. So talking about sodium, where sodium is found, um, it's really found like in deli meats and cheese, sausage, uh, also packaged goods, frozen meals. A lot of people are shocked to find out that even frozen meals have lots of sugar. But when you train yourself, like I tried to train my patient to read the label, they'll see those. Mixes, pancakes, biscuits. I live here in, uh, in North Carolina and biscuits are a real favorite for our patients. Popping fresh, loaded with salt. Um, even frozen biscuits that you get in the uh, frozen food section have lots of salt as well. Salt uh, is found also in baked goods, uh, yeast breads. Salt is used to control the production of yeast and the production of the oxygen, which causes the breads to rise. So breads, rolls. I encourage my patients to eat uh, thin crust pizza because pizza dough definitely is a um, high, uh, is a good source of our, or a high so, uh, source of so, uh, sodium. Canned goods, especially canned soups. People are shocked to find out they're trying to eat healthy and they choose a healthy brand only to discover that it may have 1,100 milligrams of sodium. So salt's hidden in lots of many things, especially uh, packaged goods, frozen foods, uh, going out to eat. Uh, going out to eat's a major source of sodium. So just to follow up with that, Judy, do you think that the published serving sizes seem accurate to you? No. Uh, we know from research studies, um, and in fact, Dr. Barry Popkin here at UNC wrote an article on this, that the serving sizes, although they may be a actual serving size, the numbers on the nutrition fact labels are not correct. People just use the guides that are sent in to the different databases and they give a best guess estimation. Not many companies can afford to run the testing to determine the actual amounts on the label, but uh, they just use uh, variations or best guess estimates for the numbers that you see on the label. And what about things about spices and salt substitutes? When you think of salt substitutes, some of them say low salt or maybe no salt. But then when you read further onto the labels, you do notice that there is actually some salt in there. What do you think is the best way that people can use a salt substitute? Or do you have any recommendations of a salt substitute that you prefer? Yes, uh, that's a great question. Um, I actually discourage my patients from using a product that has salt substitute in its name. Um, there are different uh, brands on the market. When you have kidney problems, you have to be aware of first the low salt, but also potassium and phosphorus may be an issue. But we monitor people's labs to see if they need to be aware or maybe do a reduction of those things. Uh, salt sometimes... Um, when people use salt substitutes, um, that can do more harm than good. Remember, your kidneys aren't functioning like normal people who can use those products. Uh, for salt substitutes, what I encourage my patients to do is to retrain their taste buds. Um, I remind them when they go out to eat that they need to tell the server to not add salt to their food. They need to be mindful of what may have salt, whether it's marinades or rubs. Um, they're found in many sauces. 
Um, and that would be likewise at home. Uh, sauces have a lot of salt. Um, also, I like to encourage my patients to use more uh, herbs, spices. Lemon can really perk up uh, the flavor of your food. Just trying to retrain the taste buds to accept a lower salt um, palate is the way to go. I also encourage my patients to become BFFs with a product on the market. Her name starts with Mrs. and I'm not going to use the other name, but I think everybody who is watching their salt knows what I'm talking about. Um, also, we want to make sure that, you know, we don't have the same redundancy of foods. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm on a low salt diet. I can't have this or that. Well, you can't have that. Uh, you just may need to prepare your food a little differently than what you're accustomed to. Here in the South, we boil our vegetables a lot. I do encourage our patients not to add salt to the water when they're preparing their vegetables. If they have to have salt, um, ask them to take out their portion and just put a little bit on their portion, just a little inkling of a sprinkle. Stir that up because that salt will be on the surface and it'll bring up the flavors. Also, too, um, I encourage our patients to just be mindful of it because salt really can um, uh, cause you to uh, develop more swelling issues. Uh, when I started working in this clinic, um, our chief came and told me that anybody who has any kidney problems should always be on a low-salt diet. And I've always tried to remind our patients that no matter what stage you are with your kidney issues, you need to be mindful of your salt. Also, too, when I encourage my patients when they prepare their foods to branch out, to use all those spices they've accumulated up in their cabinets, whether it's curry or ginger, onion uh, powder, not salt, garlic powder, not garlic salt, uh, dry mustard, uh, bay leaves, um, and don't forget uh, ginger. All these things can really spice up your food. Go ahead and bring all those things out that you've been accumulating and test them out and see what flavor blends you like for yourself. There are other sources on uh, different websites that can provide uh, different seasoning blends that have no salt in it. And I would encourage people to branch out and look and see where they could find blends that they would like or make their own blends. Great. That sounds, that sounds great. One of the things that I remember being shocked about was how much sodium was in an egg. I could not believe, I never would imagine that there'd be sodium in eggs or milk for that matter. And even now when I speak to people, when I tell them about low sodium options, I tell them to read every single label and try to not give a negative. I try not to say, well, you can't have this or you can't have that. And I did this with my own daughter. I said, oh, you can have that. She was on a 1500 milligrams a day, 15 to 1700 milligrams a day. And I was saying, you can have that, but is it worth it to you? Think about whether it's worth it. If it's worth it to you to have that and cause all the swelling, like you just mentioned, you decide, but I didn't want to put a negative and make it seem like they can't because people don't like to be told that they cannot do something. So I tried to reverse psychology on them and say, you can, but is it worth it to you? So well, yeah, the eggs and milk thing was a shock to me the most. Well, Shannon, you're absolutely correct. Um, as a dietitian, I'm not the food police. And I want people to know if you would like to eat those foods, I'm going to help you understand how you can get those foods uh, back into your diet. However, we may need to retrain your taste buds to discover new flavors and tastes. Exactly. So let's 
Let's go on to the next question. Since the foods that you just talked about that are high in sodium, do you have any other suggestions for substitutes that people might like besides the spices? Sure. Um, what I do is uh, it also depends on how you prepare your foods. Uh, a lot of times people have um, been so accustomed to a high salt diet, I try to taper them down into uh, slowly, gradually decreasing their salt. Um, but the biggest thing, too, uh, as far as the low salt items after I talked about the different spices is to just be more mindful and aware, especially when you go eat out the fast food items that you see. Usually people just, when they come to see me as a dietitian, they just want to know what to eat. Um, they don't really care about the science behind it. They just want to know what to eat. And so what I do is I take people's uh, meals or their usual typical intake and I help them enhance it. And I also find out where they do go out to eat. How many times a week do they go? Most people on average go about out to eat about four times a week, at least here where I practice in North Carolina. And so I ask them where they go and then we help look up items on the uh, menus for the different places. I want people to plan ahead. And when they go out to eat, I want them to be uh, aware that usually the industry standard is to add salt to your food before uh, they deliver it to your plate or to uh, deliver it to you. And I ask them to tell the servers to hold off on the salt. As far as cooking at home, uh, cooking, at, a lot of times people don't like to cook because it requires planning, it requires grocery shopping, it requires cleanup, it, and it requires the actual act of doing it. A lot of times I encourage my patients to uh, cook all in one day and to use all the spices to chop up all their vegetables, to prepare it, to roast their vegetables, to put them, um, label and date them in mason jars, um, have them readily available because nobody really likes to do more work than they have to, unless of course, at, at, like myself, I truly enjoy cooking. Um, and for my patients who want quick fixes, um, I can uh, tell them how they can simply roast vegetables, how they simply can cook meats and have those things ready for them. But retraining their taste buds, using different spices, using different uh, techniques of cooking, whether it's a grilling, roasting in your oven, uh, using your uh, cooktop or even that um, new device called an air fryer. Air fryers are just convection ovens, but it just sounds a little fancier than to say air fryer. I mean, it sounds better to say air fryer than it says convection oven. Right, right. I hear you. One of the things that I recall is something that you just mentioned. When we would go to restaurants, I would tell the servers all the time. So that's such an important piece of information to tell others because they don't realize that they can actually go out to dinner because people think, oh my goodness, I have kidney disease. I no longer can go out to eat. But I found that nowadays there's so many different options with low sodium, vegan, different types of dietary needs. And there are lots of restaurants that offer low sodium, but low sodium to an average person is not low sodium enough for somebody with kidney disease. So again, that was such a great tip that you gave Judy about asking your server to not season. I used to bring my own seasoning with us when we went out to dinner, along with, I found a salad dressing. I believe it was from Panera bread that had 50 milligrams of sodium per serving. And I would just bring it with us where I would bring the no sodium ketchup 
So if she wanted French fries without salt, obviously, I could have that no salt added ketchup even for her. So I did bring these things and people don't realize. And I said, yes, bring them along with you. You can still live your life. You just have to make these adjustments. So that was great information, Judy. Um, let's follow up with when you are invited to a friend's house or a wedding or a barbecue or something, where are ingredients that may not be available? What do you tell them to do when they are in that situation? Well, uh, fortunately, people let you know in advance that um, you're going to go to an event. And what I encourage my patients to do, if they're not certain as to what they're going to be eating, uh, they need to maybe pre-eat at home. And by pre, I mean, have enough snack that it may tide you over because let's face it, not everybody is um, attuned to people's uh, dietary preferences. And so what I do is I tell my patients to pre-eat and also when they're at the event to survey what's available, sticking with those raw fruits and vegetables, sticking with plain salads, uh, sticking with simple roasted meats like chicken is always a good thing. Also, split the serving. If you go out to eat at a restaurant, uh, order half servings with your partner or take, get a takeout container and put half of it or two-thirds of it at, um, in it and take it home for other events. I know when I go out to eat, I don't have high blood pressure or kidney issues, but I truly follow a low-salt diet so I can empathize with my patients. Um, it's so salty, I can hardly eat no matter what I choose. And so I take most of it home. And then when I'm at home, I have to doctor it up and make it so I can eat it, whether it's adding more pasta or more vegetables to thin out the salt. Um, but typically, I encourage my patients to focus on the vegetables and not so much the protein foods and to lay off the rolls. Uh, the bread, bread can be really high in salt. Very good. Very good. You know, I want to go back to one of the things you said earlier when you talked about your patients having being within a certain amount of milligrams per day and how you divided that up. What about people who maybe eat just say two meals a day and they are within this uh, restriction of maybe 2,000 or 3,000 milligrams? Do you, and what if they say, well, I eat very little for breakfast, but I eat more for dinner? Do you feel that? they should be evenly breaking that up. Just say they had 1,500 milligrams at dinner and 500 milligrams at breakfast. Is that something that you feel they should really try to balance that out, maybe 1,000 and 1,000, or does it really make a difference if they were heavy on one of those meals than another? Well, that's a very good question. I haven't thought about that. Um, you're right. Most of my patients actually do eat two meals a day. I try to encourage three meals uh, to keep their blood sugars more steady and to not uh, interrupt uh, different things that go on. But most of the patients that I speak with actually do skip breakfast and eat lunch and dinner. I would say that's probably about 75% of the people I talk to. I do encourage three meals a day. I think that's healthier. I would like for people to spread out their salt, but if they're only eating two meals a day, um, I ask them to just be more mindful. I mean, salt is salt, whether it's uh, 2,300 um, uh, uh, 2, at one time. I d definitely discourage uh, intermittent fasting, which that would involve if you're only eating one meal a day. I I'm with you. I think we should spread out the salt throughout the day instead of having uh, two really large hits. Great, great. 
Okay, you know, we focused a lot of our conversation on reducing salt. Are there other nutritional considerations for people with kidney disease, like foods they should avoid or foods they should be sure to eat? Uh, well, it depends on what stage they are with their kidney disease. Um, I'm sure your uh, listeners are aware that uh, there are different stages, stage one and stage two, stage three, stage four, and stage five. And depending on what stage you are would depend on your nutritional recommendations. For stage one uh, and stage two, we definitely encourage our patients to be more mindful of what they're eating, whether it's a low-salt diet, is it working on losing weight, is it focusing more on vegetables, uh, do we need to alter the protein in their diet, uh, but definitely they need to follow a low-salt diet. Um, when you're at stage three and stage four, depending on your labs, and that would go for stage one and two, uh, stage three, as well as four, depending on your labs, would depend on our recommendations. Still following that low-salt diet, you may need to lose weight, which will help improve your kidney function. You may need to watch your uh, foods that are high in potassium. You may need to watch your protein, which now the new guidelines have recommended even less protein, more of a plant-based diet. Uh, stage four would also hold true, but we definitely need to be a little more aggressive. Also, we do want to encourage people to eat a variety of food, to eat a balanced diet. We want people to eat lean protein. We want people to eat vegetables, some fruit. Uh, whole grains, and also some dairy foods. So we want people to eat a balanced diet no matter what stage they are, whether it's stage one, two, three, four, or even five. And when five starts, uh, depending on what's, what uh, renal replacement therapy you choose will depend on the, those nutritional recommendations. But always remembering whether you have any kind of kidney problems, you're going to need a low-salt diet. Great. Uh, Judy, one thing that comes to mind is post-transplant. Do you have any suggestions for people who are post-transplant on how to continue living the rest of their life since they were so restricted before with their sodium and maybe, you know, other things with potassium, protein, phosphorus, and whatnot? Do you have any suggestions for post-transplant kidney disease? I remember our dietitian said to my daughter, and I remember exactly her words. And she said, listen, you're no longer on a low sodium diet, but you're not on a high sodium diet either. That, that is correct. You had a great dietitian. Um, she took the words right out of my mouth. I tell my patients the same thing. Um, what I tell my patients, well, with post-transplant, uh, for the first three months, we do want them to follow food safety guidelines. And then after that, we ask them to use good common sense. I want our patients to be mindful of their salt. I always want them to know that they are going to have to increase their hydration if they were on dialysis. A lot of times when people have dialysis for a long period of time, it's hard for them to drink lots of fluids. I do encourage them to eat a well-balanced diet, just as we discussed, lean protein, lots of vegetables, uh, some fruit, whole grains, and some low-fat dairy products. And uh, as far as post-transplant, we do know that when you have a transplant, we do give you certain medications that we're always watching your labs for. We're watching your labs for your uh, potassium. We're watching for your sodium 
your magnesium, your phosphorus. We're looking at all those and those could all be mitigated by the medication that they give you so you don't reject your kidney. We do know that there are food drug interactions. We do tell our patients they cannot have grapefruit or grapefruit juice, no pomegranate or pomegranate juice, star fruit, and now one of the new things that we've added to the list is clementines or halos, cuties, whatever you want to call those little oranges that you pop open with no seeds. We ask that our patients limit those to one, uh, one clementine uh, per day because that will interact with that medication and make it not work correctly. Wow, that's interesting. I'm glad that you gave that information. I believe a lot of people are not aware of that particularly with the the halos. I mean, that's, like you said, as of recently, that has uh, come about. So, Judy, this was an excellent conversation. I really thank you for sharing your expertise today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Sure, and thank you so much for giving such a wonderful gift to someone when you donated your kidney. I feel like we don't do enough for our donors. We don't do enough to help educate them as to how they can take care of themselves. Uh, to run uh, with just one kidney in their body. I do applaud you for your uh, the gift that you gave. Well, thank you. It's actually um, interesting because I get that question asked all the time about what medications I have to take post-organ uh, donation and what do I have to do anything differently? And people don't realize that nothing has changed in my life, nothing at all. In fact, my life has gotten better to be quite honest, to know that I was able to get somebody off a dialysis and save their lives. My life is only better because of that. What an enriching gift. Thank you so much. And I appreciate being a part of this conversation today. Do you have any other questions, Shannon, that I might could help you with? I think at this point where you've covered a lot of information and very useful information, one of the things that I always go back to is Again, what you said about reading every single label and being surprised about the things that you would never think sodium was in, it was such a shock to me to learn this. And I was the type that I went into the grocery store and read every single thing, and I fully educated myself on this. But not everybody has the means to do that or the desire or really you know, the, the want to do it. But I always look at it like this is your life. You have one life. Every day is a gift. And you really should take the time to educate yourself and listen to people like you, Judy, listen to your dietitians. They know what's best. My daughter was so funny because as a teenage girl, I remember her trying to negotiate with the dietitian about eating something as simple as pizza. She's a teenage girl, you know, who doesn't want pizza even as an adult, but she would try to negotiate with her dietitian and we would kind of just laugh at that, but I understood it completely. And you're not saying that you cannot have these things. It's just having it within moderation and learning how to navigate this new lifestyle of yours and changing your taste buds was such great advice, Judy. I, I just can't emphasize that enough. And now, like you said, you taste something and it tastes extremely salty to you. And and I noticed the same thing. And and also one other thing to go back to, I remember as a teenager, you know, she wanted some fast food here and there. We were never big fast food eaters, but we did find out places like McDonald's or other fast food chains, you can order French fries with no salt and they had to make them for you on spot fresh. So you had this piping hot thing of fries 
from McDonald's without sodium, without salt on it. And that was huge. So every once in a while, she can feel like a normal teenager again to go have these French fries. And, and people aren't aware that, you know, places will do that for you. Yes. And that you made a great point, Shannon. Um, I can really feel for our, our patients who are teenagers because they want to fit in and they want to do what their friends are doing. And when I encourage my uh, patients who are teenagers, when they go out to eat with their friends, always order the thin crust pizza, get lots of vegetables. I'm not saying you can't have it. You just want to make sure it's in a uh, method and means that you can have it. And don't put all the extra cheese on it. Also, like you said earlier, when you go to McDonald's, ask for them to order the uh, fries with no salt. Don't get the sauces on your um, uh, hamburger or on your fish fillet. Uh, try to omit the cheese as well. So there are definitely things you can have at fast foods, even functions when you go out to eat in restaurants. You know, focus on uh, avoiding the fried foods because the batters uh, have lots of salt in them. And you want to make sure that you get a salad with grilled meats with no added salt or uh, marinades or seasonings on it. And you want to make sure if you do have a store-bought dressing to get the dressings on the side. I encourage my patients to dip their fork into the dressing and then stab at their salads, not to drench uh, their salads with the dressing. And you did a great job by taking your salad dressing with you uh, and having it available. That way you don't feel like you can't have something, but you can. Uh, a lot of times uh, my patients, my teenage patients love ramen. And I try to help them uh, be aware that a lot of the salt is found in the seasoning packet. So if they're going to have ramen, I encourage them to use leftover uh, meat and vegetables that they may have in their refrigerator. Stir that in as the noodles are cooking and just use a fraction, if not less than half of the packaging for the seasoning into the noodles. And that way they can extend the taste of, and have ramen and not feel like they can't eat cer certain foods. I'm smiling as you're saying that because that's something that I had her do. And she still actually continues to do that now in college. There is a lot of options. And I'm here in New York in Long Island. We do have some grocery stores like Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's has so many low sodium and no sodium options. And you just have to look at everything when you're food shopping. There's so many different options out there with everybody's different dietary needs that it's not impossible. It's gotten so much better than it was, obviously, Judy, like, you know, from 10, 20 years ago, even five years ago, the options are really out there now. You just have to look for them. They're there. Yes, Shannon, you're absolutely correct. It depends on uh, what you're willing to put your time in for planning. Planning is very important to know what you're going to eat and going to the different uh, restaurant websites to find out their nutrition information online can help you pre-plan as to what you're going to do. Uh, being aware of the food products, making a list, uh, choosing from those lists and moving forward because it, uh, it's just a different way of eating healthy. Excellent. Judy, again, I appreciate your time today. It was very valuable. And I hope that the listeners out here really listen to what you're saying and, you know, get something out of it. Even if they get one thing out of it, it was worth it. Really appreciate you, Judy. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I'd like to thank both of you for a great conversation that we got to listen in on and to learn a lot. 
And I invite um, everyone who's listening to share this podcast with others who may be interested, family, friends, fellow patients, and anyone else. If you have suggestions for future topics or comments on this topic, please contact us at curegnpodcast at umich.edu. To learn more about CureGN, or if you're interested in joining the study, visit curegn.org. Thank you very much.